last time I was here was only two weeks ago, Easter Sunday, and um, Pastor Ben had made a big thing about Port losing the night before, and I just want to um, bring some balance to that conversation. <laughs> um, and I think the Crows women were playing yesterday, but I slept all afternoon. I don't know. How did that go? Did something, something go on? Oh, that's right. Crows can't win anymore. Yeah, I saw you walk in, Steve, and I, 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 I nearly wore my Port Adelaide T-shirt today, and I thought... <laughs> I should probably be, be humble and... Um... <laughs> hey, you got two women's teams, buddy. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay, we'll just leave that there and move on. It's... Uh... <laughs> oh, well, it's been lovely speaking to you and uh, we'll see you next time. It's really... Um, uh... I love it when God, stupid statement really, I love it when God does stuff, but I, I love it especially when um, uh, I have spent the whole week wrestling with what to talk about today and everything that's happened so far has just preached my sermon for me and so um, maybe I don't even need to do that, but, but it feels like God's just paving the way for some stuff this morning and... Um, Hopefully you'll see that in the songs you've sung, even in, uh, even, uh, I, was, I had all this stuff I wanted to say, and I thought, how am I going to fit this in to one three-hour sermon? And um, <laughs> the good news is, through communion now, we've knocked five minutes off of that. Uh, and so um, there'll, be a, there'll be a break where you can go and get your lunch and come back, and we can just keep going. Yeah. Um, but it's good. It's good that uh, God's already at work. There's this verse in Corinthians that says, uh, talking about the, um, the body of Christ, and it says God places every part exactly where he wants it to be. And so uh, you just need to know, this isn't the sermon, but you just need to know that if you're here this morning, you're here exactly because God wants you to be. And I really believe God's up to something this morning and there's something special that's going to happen and uh, we're going to get to be part of it. So let's, um, let's just pray. Jesus, we're grateful for the privilege of being here with you, of being exactly where you want us to be. Lord, help us not to take that for granted. Help us not to take the freedom of gathering together for granted. And we think today of people all over the world who are still in lockdown, who are uh, struggling with all sorts of stuff because of that. And Lord, we also think of those brothers and sisters who are living countries where they just put their life at risk just to say they follow you, who are today meeting in caves and in basements and in hidden rooms. And Lord, we pray for them that you would strengthen their faith too. So Lord, help us not to take this moment for granted. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us, we pray. Amen. So what I want to do today is I want to um, look at a passage in Ephesians, and um, it's a really well-known passage, but I just um, really sensed this week that this is where God wanted me to, wanted me to land today. Um, and it's, it's one of those passages that has just so much in it that we really could be here for weeks and weeks and weeks. Like, uh, uh, what I, so what I want to do is condense a six-week sermon series into one sermon. 
um, we'll see how we go. So a bit of theology, a bit of history, um, and a bit of uh, practical application. Is that okay? How long have I got, really? What time do you normally finish? About half an hour. Okay. <sighs> Hold on to your hats. If you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, um, Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. Paul says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that, with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, let's just do a really quick recap. David's done a lot of it for us. Um, I, I want to do it because this passage is really significant, but it's most significant when you understand the big picture behind what Paul's speaking into. And so, uh, David's already shared that we had this problem that God created the world perfect. And God gave authority to Adam and Eve. Basically created this planet, put them in the garden and gave them the keys and said, this is yours. Satan wanted authority on the earth and God wouldn't give it to him. So he went down and he took the keys from Adam and Eve, right? Does that make sense so far? And so, uh, uh, Jesus, even Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. That, G that Satan had authority in this world. And, uh, and as Julie so carefully pointed out on Easter Sunday, one of the things that Jesus did is he went and he took back the keys to death and he took back the keys, right? So Jesus now has authority and he delegates it to us. Does that all make sense? Good. That's, the, that's three weeks of theology in two minutes. So that's, that's part of the background. The other part of the background is this, that Paul... Uh, had been in Ephesus uh, for a while. This, this letter to the church in Ephesus and the region of Ephesus was written after Paul had been there, but Paul spent three years in Ephesus. And Ephesus was the place where Paul's ministry was most successful. If you want to uh, follow that, you can look in Acts chapter 19 and 20, and it tells the whole story of Paul and the Ephesian church. And it says this, in a couple of spots, it says uh, that everyone in Ephesus knew what was going on. And everyone in the whole region heard the gospel. And we know that that means that that region of Asia Minor, where Ephesus is, about a million people heard the gospel in three years. Just let that sink in. This is the place. Paul, I don't have time to do this. We can do this, uh, grab a coffee afterwards and I'll explain this to you. But Paul had all sorts of ups and downs in his missionary journey. And you can follow it. You can get, follow Acts and get an atlas and follow his journey and see where he goes. And when he goes to towns and he, he just turns up there and um, 
uh, starts to preach and things start to happen and then he gets kicked out of town and he leaves. And he goes somewhere else, he does He goes somewhere else, he does it. goes like these things. And it sort of gets bigger and bigger but never really tips over into full-blown revival and renewal and transformation. Um, and then he goes to Athens. You know that story in Athens in Acts 17? And he goes up and he actually tries to do something di- that he's never done before in Athens. And that is he tries reason rather than uh, just preaching the gospel and allowing the power of Jesus to do stuff. And we hold this up as the, as the cultural thing that, uh, that this is the way you do mission, right? You go in and you look around and you survey the culture. You go, ah, oh, I see this God over here. That you, the unknown God, and you understand the culture, and you try and explain culture back to people with a theological twist. But it seems that that was Paul's least successful um, foray into mission in any town. He didn't, didn't do well there at all. Few people believed. He then goes on to Corinth after that. And we know at the start of Corinthians, Paul says, When I came to you, I decided to do nothing except preach the gospel and, and talk about the signs and wonders. So he moves back to what he was doing before. He stops doing the reasoning and lets the power of God move. You can read that in the early chapters of Corinthians. And things start to happen in Corinth and then he leaves and he ends up in Ephesus where things, does the same model, turns up, at the synagogue till he gets kicked out of there, then goes to a local community hall until he gets, uh, that starts to blow, and things just, the lid blows off and full-blown revival begins to happen in this area. A million people in three years. That's significant, right? We'd be happy with that. We'd be happy with half of that. We'd be happy with that much of that. And Paul, again, we, we know community transformation was happening because the reason Paul got kicked out of Ephesus was because the people, the manufacturers who made the idols and the gods got really upset that no one was buying them anymore. Like this wasn't just affecting people's religious life uh, or their social life. This was affecting the economic fabric of the community. Business, people were going out of business because no one was buying their idols anymore. And they were the people that started to stir up the trouble. Think about that. Imagine if, imagine if we had a spot now where the church, where the community was being so transformed that all the places that make money off of people who are poor and marginalized, all the places that make money off of people who are trapped in addiction got really upset with the church because people, not because we were preaching some thou shalt not do this thing, but because lives were being transformed and people didn't need that anymore. People didn't need the alcohol. People didn't need the drugs. People didn't need the pornography. People didn't need that stuff because their lives were being changed. Imagine the uproar, right? This is what's going on in Ephesus. And Paul, his life is so much at risk because of this, he has to leave. And then uh, a number of years later, he writes back to the church. So that's the context of this letter that this is one of Paul's most favourite places, the most successful church plant he did was Ephesus. And he left them and he said to them, in Acts 20, he meets with the elders on the beach and he said, when I go, savage wolves are going to come in. And you have to be really careful. Test the theology of whoever you let preach here, test it. Make sure that they stick to the truth, all this stuff, right? It's really interesting if you go to the book of Revelation, and there's those seven letters to the churches. The letter to the church in Ephesus was basically, do you remember what he said to Ephesus? You've lost your first love. 
you've become so focused on keeping the teaching right, so focused on getting the doctrine right, that you've actually lost that passion and that first love. It's really interesting. So they listened to what Paul said, they put it into practice, but they went so far that way that they actually lost the heart of what they're doing. So between that and, and so between when Paul left there and the letter to the church in Revelation, we have this letter. Oh, more context, okay? One more thing that Paul talks about the gospel. The gospel is, uh, people define that in all sorts of ways, but in Paul's mind, the gospel is this. It is the announcement that Jesus is king. And that's really important as you read all of Paul's writing to understand that. The way those things were usually announced, what happened is when a new Roman emperor took the throne, uh, they would meet with all their generals and all their military leaders and they'd pour over the maps of the, of the, of the empire and the emperor would say, all right, give me like the, the state of play for the empire, what's going well and where are the trouble spots? And the generals would say, oh, this town over here, this is a trouble spot or this region, is it? And so what the Romans would do is they'd just send soldiers. That's why they built the roads, right? They built roads not to uh, help trade and not to help anything, actually to get their army where they needed to get as quickly as possible to stamp out rebellion. So they'd send the army and they would go and they would smash the town to pieces. They would just ransack the town. They would kill all the men. They'd capture all the women and children. They'd load them into wagons. They'd get all the gold and all the silver and anything of value. They'd put that into wagons too and they'd bring it back to Rome. And they would have this huge procession that would, f- would come back to Rome with all the booty that they'd collected and there was this guy that would run out in front every town they got to and announce the gospel the good news here's the good news the king has won a battle for you that you didn't have to fight and as they'd go through the towns they would distribute the gifts they'd distribute the wealth the king has won this battle and you get to share in the spoils of it good news So when Paul talks about the gospel in a Roman context, there were people who'd been gospeled. The gospel means that everything is different. That the whole town cannot exist the way it does anymore and the king who won the battle hands out the gifts and hands out the spoils and hands out the wealth and he shares it amongst people. That's why later in Ephesians, Paul talks about this... Jesus descended into hell and ascended, bringing all the captives in his train and handing out gifts to everyone. It's the same picture. It's the same picture in Corinthians. He talks about the, uh, the, the parade where there's this fragrance that, that, uh, that believers that give off, the fragrance of the gospel, that to some is life and to others is death. It's the same fragrance. They used to burn incense along the way as this herald gospeled and told the good news and so if you were part of the victory side that smell was a great smell if you were the ones who were locked up in the in the cages and were captives and been taken to rome ultimately probably to die then the, the same smell wasn't a good smell so this is all the context okay that's all the stuff that's going on i needed to do all that because i want to get to this passage the one other thing paul starts off this whole letter of ephesians and talks about Glory be to God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now, just get a picture of that. Every blessing. Every spiritual blessing. So, which ones are not there? Not some, not most, 
not a few of them if you sort of behave and are really good. Every blessing has been given to us because we are God's inheritance. Not because God wants to give us an inheritance, but because we are, the church is the inheritance of God. So when God fixes everything, see the the cross is not about God coming, sending Jesus so that he can die for your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die. That's not the gospel. The gospel is about God is fixing everything. Everything that is wrong with the world, every single olive tree is being pulled out. Every bit of brokenness is being fixed. Everything. There is nothing that misses out. All sickness, all death, all those things are gone in the kingdom of God. And we know we live in this now and not yet, right? Where it started to happen, but we haven't seen the fullness of it. And that's part of the struggle. And that's part of why Jesus said, I want you to pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because what Jesus planned for us on earth is the earth would look exactly like heaven. And that is, heaven's not, you know, this mystical place you go to when you die. Heaven is a description of where God is. So where God is, how much sickness is there? How much death is there? How much poverty is there? How much brokenness is there? And Jesus said, I want you to pray that those things happen here and now. Before, before it's all wrapped up again, before it's all completely fixed, you can still pull that down now. All right, that's all the context. Now we can go to this passage. Paul says in verse 17, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. In other words, Paul says, I want you to get hold of something that will transform your life. Jesus called it repenting. Repenting doesn't mean saying you're sorry. Repenting means um, changing your thinking. The, word for, the Greek word for repent is metanoia. Meta meaning thinking. Uh, meta? I always get it wrong. Meta meaning, think, meta meaning change and noia meaning th- noia knowledge, thinking. Change, it, change the way you think. Get a whole new headset. Get a whole new way of understanding what God is doing. See the world differently. Paul says, I want you to get this. This, ca- this only comes from revelation from God. It only comes through the wisdom of God. But when you get it, your life cannot ever be the same again. When you get hold of this, when you get the wisdom and the revelation of God on this, when the eyes of your heart are enlightened, you won't be able to think the same again. And you won't be able to live the same again. Paul says there's a number of things. When you get that, three things will happen. First of all, that you'll know the hope to which he's called you. Now think about that. If... If this is really true, if God is really in the process of fixing everything, N.T. Wright, the New Testament theologian, says God is putting the world to rights. If God is fixing everything, then there's always hope. There's nothing that's too far from God. There's nothing that's too hard for God to do. God's already dealt with it all. Jesus has already taken the keys back. It may look different and it may feel different and it may feel like we're pushing against a brick wall, but there is nothing that God's power cannot touch. There's always hope. Secondly, what are the glorious riches of his his inheritance among the saints? We are his inheritance. That when God gets to the end of all of this, 
when he gets to the end of it all and he looks and he says, what have I done out of all this? What have I achieved out of all of this? He'll look at the church and go, this is exactly what I wanted. This is it. Because God created the whole earth right at the beginning. He created earth, he created the universe, and he created humanity because God wanted a family. God is about community. This is what Trinity is, right? Father, Son, and Spirit live together in this perfect community. There are some theologians who say what God's doing is in in perfecting the church. He's squaring the Trinity. He's inviting the church into the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, and church. That's God's plan at the end, that Father, Son, Spirit, and church all live together in perfect unity. That God goes back to what he did with Adam and Eve, where he, every evening he'd go and walk with them in the garden. That's the picture of intimacy that God is after. And that's what God wants to do, that's what God has set out to do, and that's what God will achieve, because that will be his inheritance. Us. Let that sink in. How do you feel about yourself this morning? You are God's inheritance. Not just you individually, us together. That's why community is so important. That's why we have to look after each other because together we will be the inheritance. And then this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe? According to the working of his great power. Paul says, I need to explain what that means. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at at his right hand in the heavenly places. So, I want you to think for a minute of Jesus on the cross taking every bit of sin and brokenness of the world upon his body. How much is that? Like, incredible. Yeah, if you actually think about that, that is insane amount. And that killed him. By the way, God wasn't afraid of that. There's this really bad theology that does the rounds of the church that's, uh, that says, and it comes from, from bad teaching, it comes from one song that everyone sang 20 years ago, uh, when Jesus on the cross, the Father turns his face away. Not true. That is not a biblical thing. You can, I, I even double-checked it. I, I say this all the time, but I double-checked it again. I read through every gospel story of the crucifixion and on one point, nowhere ever does it say God turned his face away. The only place it comes from is that when Jesus is on the cross, he yells out, my God, my God, my, why have thou forsaken me? Right? But that's not God, that's not Jesus saying, you know, God's abandoned me. That's just Jesus giving a reference point. Uh, if, I, if I said, let's pray together and started, our Father, what would you say next? In an oral culture, you learn things by rote. So when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everyone immediately in the Jewish culture will go, he's talking Psalm 22. If you read Psalm 22, it talks about how you haven't abandoned me, how you haven't given up on me, how you looked on my sin and how you rescued me from the grave. That's the story of the cross. That's the power of the gospel. That power that raised Jesus from the dead, which must have been an incredible amount of power to raise Jesus from the dead after that incredible amount of sin and brokenness had killed him, Paul says, this is the wisdom revelation part, this is the change of thinking part, that power lives in you. That power right now lives in you. That power is the thing that transforms you from the inside out so that you can transform the world around you. 
And here's the rub. If we are not living with that experience of that power of God in us, then we're actually living beneath our privileges. We're living beneath our privileges. It's like God sets this massive banquet table for us to come and eat at and we go, I'll just have the fairy bread, thanks. (laughs) Oh, yeah, don't give me the gluten-free stuff. (laughs) Do do you know what I mean? Like, Like, there's so much available to us and we choose a little bit. And we've, we've conditioned ourselves to thinking that this is how life is going to be. And we do it in one of two ways. What we, what we do is we look and we go, this is my life. And this is what I think the Bible says my life should be. And they don't measure up. And there's two ways to fix that. One is that we can take all our theology... We can take all our understanding about God and lower our expectations so it meets where we're at. Or the other thing is that we can say, I actually need to change my thinking about this and actually start living here. See the difference? And what we often do, and what the church, especially the church in the West has done for a really long time, is it's just lowered our expectation. God doesn't do miracles anymore. God can't heal that. God can't fix that. You're just going to have to put up with it. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm in a wheelchair because God wants me to use this situation to glorify him. Let me tell you. I, I understand I, and I know people. I know people. I've got a friend in England who's a, um, uh, a Paralympic athlete. She won medals at the... At the um, Olympics and the Commonwealth Games. As a par- she's in a wheelchair. And the testimony she has and the way she influences people is amazing. So I'm not trying to downplay that. And she does. She brings glory to God in all sorts of ways in her life. But imagine what would happen if she walked. Imagine what would happen. Does that bring more glory to God or less glory to God? So we have to be careful that we, we just accept our circumstances and say, this is just the way it's going to be. This is just the way God made me. This is just who I am. We have to be careful that we're not lowering our expectation of what God can do. When God has actually put in us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come, that sort of covers everything as well, right? above every rule, above every power, above every authority that ever has been and ever will be. Again, not many exceptions to that language. And he has, this, is, this is the kicker. And he has put all things under Jesus' feet and made him head over all things for the church. For the church. The reason God did all of this What's for us? The reason God did all of this was for us. The reason God did all of this was for us. We have to let it sink in. We have to let it change us. 
We have to let it transform us. God is not against us. God does not condemn us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are feeling condemned, I promise you it's not from God. Promise you. There is no condemnation in God. God does not say, oh, well, you've had your two chances, you're just going to have to put up with it now. Oh, well, yeah, you tried and you failed. (sighs) Sorry. Done the best I can. God says, here it is. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you in your life, in your situation, right now. It's there. The question is, A, do you believe it? And I don't mean, you know, do you give mental assent to it? I mean, do you believe it? There's a difference between mentally agreeing with something and actually believing something. Mental, mental assent means that we, you know, we can get on with each other and have, not have an argument about some theological idea. Believing it means it actually transforms how we live our lives. What would happen if, just say, uh, you won the $50 million Powerball last Thursday night? Not if you believed you won it, like I believe I won it, but um, apparently I didn't. Probably wouldn't be here today if I did. <laughs> it would transform your life, right? Maybe for good or maybe for bad, who knows. But you wouldn't be living the same today as you were on Wednesday. What would happen if you actually believed that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead was available to you in your life right now. How would that look different? Again, I'm not trying to minimise brokenness because we all have brokenness and we all have to work through that and God, will, God heals us and sometimes he uses doctors and sometimes he uses psychotherapists and sometimes he uses friends who pray for us. Like I'm not... I'm not trying to discount that stuff. I'm not into this fake thing, you know, name it and claim it, believe it and it'll happen. We have to live in the reality as well. But the power of God is available to transform us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power. The most powerful power in all of the universe is available. Not just available, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, the whole power of the Godhead lives in us. You can't separate Father and Son and Spirit. You know, it's, not, it's not like God sends the Holy Spirit to live in us and God stays up there in heaven somewhere. The full presence of the Godhead dwells in us. Every single bit of fullness of God, if Paul says, which fills all in all, that fills everything, is in us. And we go, oh, bit of a headache today. Oh. Yeah, I tried that once, didn't work. Oh, yeah, God let me down. I prayed once and didn't answer. My cat died. and uh, Cat dying is a good thing. Oh, no, sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, there we go. We split there right down the middle. <laughs> Dog people and cat people. You're watching. <laughs> One of the hardest things to get over, 
one of the hardest things to get over when it comes to, to, to seeing people healed, to seeing people set free, is disappointment. I tried that once and it didn't work. I tried it ten times and it didn't work. But the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, whether you like it or not, lives in you. Your choice is are you going to access it? Your choice is are you going to let that come to the fore? Are you going to, you're going to change the way you see the world? Are you Are going to change your thinking about your worldview? Or are you just happy to live your life? Because this is the thing about grace, right? It's your choice. You don't have to. You don't have to do anything. You can just keep living the way you live. Good luck with it, but you can. Or you can say, every spiritual blessing is available to me right now. Everything. I am blessed. Um, One of the translations says that God has lavished us with every spiritual blessing. Right, lavish is, is the same Greek word that we get the word ladle from. It's this idea of, of having this big pot of soup and dipping this massive ladle in and just pouring it out. Like it's not, it's not meager amounts, it's massive amounts. God is lavishing these blessings on you. God is lavishing his love on us and we have to choose whether we're going to accept it or not, whether we lift our eyes and we lift our expectation to the standard that, that, uh, that Jesus says this is, what you, this is what's available to you or whether we lower that down and say God doesn't do that anymore. And it's the only choice. Either God does it or he doesn't do it. Dallas Willard, who um, is a, well, he died a few years ago now, but was an American philosopher and theologian, he said, when we see Jesus as he really is, we must turn away or else shamelessly adore him. There's only two choices. You can accept it or you can reject it. You can keep living the life the way you want or you can step into this. And I'm not just talking about have you ever made a decision to follow Jesus. I mean, there may be people who have never made that decision and you want to do that today. But I'm, not, this, I'm talking about church. Have you given mental assent to the gospel, the good news? Have you signed that bit of bit and you've got your insurance slips so that when you die you go to heaven and you're missing out on this fullness of life that comes as part of the package and you say, I'll just have this bit, just give me the fairy bread. It's your choice. No one's making you. But there is this invitation from God today. Just close your eyes for a second and just begin to imagine... What would it be like if the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lived in you? If you really knew it? What would that be like for you today? What would you do with it? If you could access that power, what would you do? How would your life be different? And if there's something that comes to mind 
that would change today. Maybe that's healing, maybe that's freedom from addiction, maybe that's uh, freedom from pain, whatever that thing is. If something comes to mind, then start to say, Jesus, I want it. It's okay to ask for it. Jesus is teaching the disciples. He says, yeah, what, what person when they ask for bread, would it, what father would give them a stone? And if they ask for a fish, would he give them a scorpion? Because the father gives good gifts to those who ask for them. The father gives his Holy Spirit. The answer to your prayer is not the thing. The answer to your prayer is God himself. And he wants to give that to you today. And if there's something that needs to change, if you need to step in, if you need to change your thinking, if you need to repent, then repent. And I don't mean, oh God, I'm sorry. I mean, God, I need to see the world differently. Show me my life how you see it. Show me the world how you see it. Let me receive again that fresh anointing of your spirit that brings that power to its fruition in me. If you're praying that, then I just ask you to stand where you are. Holy Spirit, come. Release your power today, we pray. Bring a fresh anointing, God. More, Lord. What often happens in these moments is like there's this sense of God's power that comes sort of in waves. And you might feel it a bit and then it fades a bit. And often there's a spot where you've got to push in and ask for more. Don't just take a little bit and say, I've got my bit. I've got my fairy bread and my glass of orange juice. There's a whole banquet waiting for you. Keep pressing in for it. More, Lord. More of your presence. More of your power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We release it in your church this morning, God. To bring freedom, to bring joy, to bring healing, to bring release, to bring hope, God. For those who are feeling like the situation is hopeless, let your power come and bring a breakthrough today. In family situations, in work situations. more, Lord. Help us to think differently. More. More of your presence, Lord. More of your power. Increase it. Thank you, Lord, that it's all available to us. We just have to believe. We just have to stretch out in faith and grab hold of it. Let your kingdom come. your kingdom come.
break off addiction today in Jesus' name. Let your kingdom come. Thank you, Lord, for your power. Thank you for your grace. We want to receive everything you have for us today, God. If you're doing okay and you're experiencing the full power of God in your life and you don't feel like you need to stand up and everything's great, cool. Then your job is to reach out and just reach your hands out to people who are around you and start praying for them as well. Don't go touching people. It's COVID safe prayer, but you know, just reach your hands out and start praying for people. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh, I should have stood up at the first time, but you know, it's never too late. You can stand up still. Thank you, God. More. More of your power. Lord, bring breakthrough today. Let your kingdom come. your healing come, God. Thank you, God. 